Praise the Lord. Take your Bibles out if you would. Turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. This morning I'm going to conclude the series that I've been doing on divided truth. Uh, If you're visiting or just joining us, I've been doing a series for several weeks now where Paul told Timothy to study to show himself as the pastor, to show himself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we see that the word of God actually has divisions. There are portions of the word that relate to you. God wrote them and they specifically are addressed to you. And there are portions of Scripture that's not addressed to you and it doesn't relate to you necessarily and directly. However, the Bible also says that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and it is profitable to me. So even though it's not written directly to me, I can still profit from that. So we've been looking at that. And I've been focusing mainly on what God has spent a considerable amount of time in Scripture focusing on himself. And that is the subject of Israel, the house of Israel, the house of Jacob. And how God is going to deal with the house of Jacob and the church and how God deals with the church. And the fact that they are two completely different entities. And God deals with one one way, he deals with the other another way. The Israel, house of Israel, and I don't know if I made this point clear or not, but the house of Israel was considered to be the bride of God. He was married to Israel. Whereas the church is the bride of Christ. He said, husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And that he might present it to himself as a chaste virgin. And so that we are the bride of Christ. Israel is the bride of God. And so he deals with them differently. Uh, We've been looking at primarily the focus on the churches. We went into the book of Revelation. We looked at the seven churches. Five of them were apostate churches. They fell back from serving God. Uh, It represents the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins. Because there was wise in each one, there were foolish in each one. Which was represented actually by the last two churches, Smyrna and and Philadelphia, the martyred church, those that are dead in Christ, and Philadelphia, those that are alive in Christ at his return. And so we kind of wrapped that up last week. And to, today what I want to do is focus the, on what is going to happen after the church age. You remember we read in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, it says that blindness in part, not in totality, but just in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. Well, the fullness of the Gentiles, that's the age that we live in right now. God's focus is on the Gentile church. And we have Messianic Jews as well, Jews that come into it. But this is the time of the Gentiles. And when that is completed, the blindness that was on Israel in part, you have to kind of read what is being said there also, they, they won't be blind anymore. The scales will fall from their eyes. They will once again see that Messiah, the Bible says, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. Well, we didn't pierce him. I mean, our sins put him there. That's true. But the house of Israel pierced him. If you read in chapter 7, I think it is, of the book of Acts, when Stephen is preaching, he said, Jesus Christ, whom you, and he's preaching to the Jewish, all of the people there were Jews. He says, Jesus Christ, whom you pierced, whom you crucified. And so they're going to look on him whom they pierced, and uh, they're going to recognize him. Isn't that good news for Israel? Amen. <clears throat> and I'm excited to see that. Now, we're going to be looking, and I, of course we can't go over all of this on a single Sunday morning service, the seven-year tribulation period, because there's a whole lot of stuff in there. But I am going to be hitting on a few things here and there that specifically addresses Israel. Um, there's, there's a lot of stuff in Scripture about this period of time. It is called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's called Daniel's 70th week. It is called the passing under the rod, the day of the Lord, the great day, the day of his wrath. Now, if somebody gets mad at me and they pour their wrath out on me, that could be bad. But brother, when God gets mad at you and he pours his wrath on you, that's really bad. Amen. So, uh, A lot of people have questions and many questions about this tribulation period. What exactly is the tribulation? What is the great tribulation? And I touched on some of that last week. We use the word tribulation, and actually it is referring to what we are going through. 
The Scripture says that we will have tribulation in this world. And <clears throat> last week I talked about the fact that of the uh, the first church and how they were taken into the Colosseum, remember, and they and Nero and how he would burn them as torches and the Inquisition and all just a slaughter of Christians throughout history. And it hasn't changed. Satan still hates Christians. Satan still hates Jews. Isn't it interesting that you see on the news the two groups that are targeted the most are Jews and Christians. Well, that's never changed, church. That's always been that way. And so the church has gone through great tribulation. We talked about Uganda and Idi Amin and all that and the book Jesus Freaks. I recommend you get that book and read it. A lot of people want to know, is this, is this tribulation the same as the great tribulation? And the answer is no, it is not. Has this great tribulation already occurred? And the answer again is no, it has not. Are we in the great tribulation now? And when you read in the book of Revelation, you can see, I don't think a big star has hit the ocean yet and destroyed one-third of the whole ocean with all the ships in it. If that happened, I missed it somewhere. <laughs> it, it wasn't on the news, of course. There's a lot of stuff not on the news. Uh, will the church go through the tribulation? Will people be saved during the tribulation? These are questions that I've heard over the years. Will my family and friends have a chance to be saved during the tribulation? When will the tribulation occur? How long is the tribulation? So some of these questions we've already answered, <clears throat> so I'm not going to attempt to try to answer them this morning. And a lot of them I can't answer. All right? There's, there's some things in the Bible you just can't answer. Nobody can answer. But just because you don't know everything doesn't mean you don't know something. Amen? And just because you know something doesn't mean you know everything. I've met some people that know everything. Because they tell you, you know, they knew it all, brother. And I mean, <laughs> the problem was is some of the stuff that they told me, I'm like, mm, I, don't, I don't think that's right. <laughs> they knew everything. <laughs> okay. Let's pray. I need the Holy Spirit in here to help me this morning. Hallelujah. Father, this book is such an incredible book, Lord. And you said those that read it and those that hear it will be blessed. And God, as we read it, Lord, I just feel your blessing, Lord. I know that we'll be blessed. Blessed most of all to know, God, that you love us so much that you will cause us to escape the great day of wrath. And I am so thankful for that, Lord. So, Father, this morning, as we look into your word and see just how much not only do you love the church, but, Lord, you love the house of Israel. You always have. You still do today. You're angry with her. You've even divorced her. But we know that you will take her back again, Lord, and we thank you for that. We pray for Israel today, God. We know that she is surrounded by her enemies. And according to the promise that you spoke to Rebekah through Laban, her brother, she possesses the gates of her enemies even to this day. So, God, we pray for her. You told us to pray for peace in Israel, and we do, God. Protect her. Lord, we pray for Benjamin Netanyahu, Lord, as he leads that nation, God. Lord, anoint him and guide him, Lord. Protect him, Lord. There are people that are threatening to annihilate them through nuclear holocaust, God. But we know, God, you will not let that happen, Lord. And we pray, God, that you spare as much of them as you can. In Jesus' name, amen. In Matthew chapter 24, it tells us that when, when you shall... In verse 3, actually, verse 3 says... The, the disciples are with him. This is called the Mount Olivet Discourse. In other words, some people call it the Sermon on the Mount. And so they come to him and they said, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Then he spends the next 48 verses answering that question. The Bible says, And he answered them and said, and so he goes through the next 48 verses answering those questions. And in verse 21, he says this, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Now, there's a couple of things I want to point out here. 
There has been tribulation on the earth before. John 16, verse 33, Jesus said this, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. Isn't that a good word? We have peace. God said that early this morning. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So we're going to have tribulation. But not like this tribulation that he's talking about. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So we've gone through tribulation. But we've never seen tribulation like what he's talking about in the book of Revelation. Because what you and I have experienced has been the wrath of men. But in the book of Revelation... It is the wrath of Almighty God that's going to be poured out on this planet. And I am glad I'm not going to be here, brother. Now, the question is, are you going to be here? I know I'm not going to be here, all right? Are you going to be here? How many of you would like to answer that question this morning? Say amen. All right, we're going to see if we can do that. In this tribulation, he said, the elect will be saved. He said, except those days be shortened, the elect shall be saved. Now, the days themselves are not going to be shortened because it's a predetermined period of time. The Bible makes it clear it's going to be a seven-year tribulation. It's going to be broken up into two parts, three and a half years and three and a half years. It is called the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. Daniel prophesied from the going forth to the rebuilding of the temple to the cutting off of Messiah shall be 70 weeks. Now, it's 70 prophetic weeks, a week being seven years, not seven days. So it's seven years times 70, which is 490 years. And if you do the math, what you will find out is from the going forth to the building of the re-temple until Jesus was cut off was 483 years leaving that seven-year period of time that is yet to be fulfilled, which is the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. And Jesus refers to some of that in his Mount Olivet Discourse. And on that, in that sermon, what he is saying there in that sermon, he reiterates in the book of Revelation. If you, if you look for the things and you know what to look for, you'll see that he's actually reiterating that. Uh, now, the elect will be persecuted uh, during this seven-year tri- tribulation period. The elect referring to the house of Israel, the house of Jacob. When he says the elect, that's who he's referring to. He is not referring to the church. He's referring specifically to the house of Israel. But they're going to be protected in two ways. They're going to be protected. One of them, they're going to be marked in the forehead, and we're going to be looking at that in just a minute. And the other is he is it's what, what we call the flight of the sun-clothed woman. It's when they will leave uh, Israel and flee actually to their cousin, Jordan, and to Petra. And there's a land bridge already. Now, th- just to show you how God is setting the stage for this, through, uh, through the development of real estate over there and agriculture and different things, the youth of water and drought and different things, the Dead Sea is cut in half now for the first time in the whole of history, thousands of years. And there is actually a land bridge across the Dead Sea where they can, you can actually, you don't have to go way around it now to get from Israel to Jordan. You go right, right across the Dead Sea into Jordan. And that is the path that they will take into Petra. Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, flee from Israel. If you've got something in the house, don't even go inside to get it. If you're on the rooftop, just come down and flee. And that's, what, that's actually what it's referring to, is the flight of the sun-clothed woman. He will take them there to protect them. Now, last week we saw that the church will be caught up, and we will escape this. I am firmly a pre-tribulation theologian. I believe in the church being raptured before tribulation. I can't find it any other way in Scripture. There will be, and I'm going to get into that in a minute too, there will be more than one rapture. And this is where people get confused because they do see a rapture in the middle of the tribulation. And they see another rapture at the end of the tribulation. But they associate it with the church, and it's not the church that's being raptured. And I'll clear that up for you in just a minute. Revelation chapter 3 verse 10 says this, 
Because thou hast kept the words of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. That was the promise to the church of Philadelphia, the faithful church. I believe we're in one of those churches. Amen? And because of that, we will escape the tribulation that's going to come upon the earth. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, And to wait for the Son from heaven, S-O-N, from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Jesus Christ is delivering us from this wrath that He's talking about, the tribulation. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and 10 says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake, that means you're alive, or asleep, that means you're dead. Those that are alive in Christ, those that are dead in Christ, we shall live together with Him. Well, folks, that's only talking about one period of time. When has the dead ever lived again with Christ Jesus? That is talking about when Jesus himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first, then those that are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air. The word caught up there is the Greek word rapezo. It means raptured. People say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Actually, it is. They'll be caught up. All right, the Bible has much to say about tribulation and how it pertains to Israel. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 says this, And at that time shall Michael, now Michael is an archangel, the archangel that is specifically assigned to the house of Israel. He's not our archangel. Gabriel may be our archangel. I'm not really certain about that. But I know that Michael is the archangel assigned to Israel. At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, referring to Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, specifically speaking of the nation of Israel, even to the same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book of life. Well, the, when the books are open, the ones that are written in the book of life, some of them are going to be Jews. Because like I said, blindness in part has happened until the time of the Gentiles has come in. Then they're not going to be blind anymore. They're going to trust in Jesus. Their name will be written in the book of life, and he will protect them during the tribulation. Many of them, he will protect them in, during the tribulation. Throughout the tribulation, they're protected. <clears throat> and when, Have any of you read the series, Left Behind series? You've read some of that? I don't remember which one of the books it talks about the tribulation saints are going to have a seal in their head. And they're going to be able to see it. They got it wrong. Because the only ones that's going to have that seal in their forehead are Jews. The Gentiles that are left here will not be protected during the tribulation period. Now, let me just talk a little bit about the rapture because that's a confusing subject with some people. Like I said, they see a rapture in the middle of the tribulation, one at the end, one at the beginning. And people get confused about that. But there actually are seven raptures in the Bible. See, God does things in patterns. Now, you may have never heard this before, but let me just tell you what I've found and what I believe, all right? And I don't believe it's heresy. I believe it's accurate. You take it, you weigh it for yourself, and you go study it for yourself and see if you agree, all right? The word rapture just means caught out, to catch away. When they translated the Bible from, from Hebrew into English, when they got to that word rapazo, means rapture, instead of putting rapture, they put the definition of rapture, caught up. For the dead in Christ should be caught up. And so we see people being caught up into heaven before that event is going to take place. The first one was a man named Enoch. The Bible says he walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And Enoch was raptured into heaven, the very first rapture. The second one was a man named Elijah. Elijah had, a, Elijah had a predecessor named Elisha. And he said, what will I give you? He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. He said, if you see me when I go, you'll have what you ask for. And a fiery chariot came down and took him into heaven, the second rapture. Right, the third one was when Jesus was crucified. 
And the Bible says that the graves opened up and many that were dead were seen walking the streets of Jerusalem after his resurrection. And so when he had ascended into heaven, the Bible says he that first ascended, he that ascended first descended into the center of the earth, and he led captivity captive and set the captives free. So there's a place called the bosom of Abraham. Now let me clarify one other thing. Somebody came to me this week and said I was confused last Sunday. When you said the only people in heaven in their glorified body are Jews, so I didn't understand that. So let me just clarify. To be absent from the body, the Bible says, to be in the presence of God. If I were to fall dead right now, you're going to take this old carcass and stick it in the ground. All right? It's going to stay right here on terra firma. Peter, James, John, all of those guys, they're still right here. They haven't gone anywhere. But their spirit is caught up into heaven and is in the presence of God. And let me tell you something about your spirit, man. The Bible tells a story that Jesus, Jesus is telling a story. He said there was a rich man, and he lived sumptuously. And he ate all this good food and said there was a man at the gate named Lazarus. Now, this is not a parable because in a parable he never mentions a person's name. This is a story of a literal person that really lived. Lazarus died and he went to the bosom of Abraham. The rich man died and the Bible says he opened his eyes up in hell. And so there was a great gulf fix so that they could see from one place to the other, but they couldn't cross from one place to the other. And the rich man said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and touch my parched tongue, for I thirst and I am in torment in these flames. And then there was a dialogue between him and Abraham. But the point I want you to see is this. The spirit of man, it can see, it can taste, it can touch, it can feel, it has emotions. All the senses that we have in the natural realm, the spirit man has in the spirit realm. And so when we go to be with the Father, we have all of those senses about us. And there are Gentile spirit beings that have died that are in heaven. So I hope that clears that up. However, the only people that are there in their glorified body, that means those that were dead and their body rose from the dead and was reunited. The Bible says mortality will take on immortality and corruption shall take on incorruption. For we shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye, speaking of the rapture. Well, that's already happened one time in one place in history. And that was when Jesus rose from the dead, and all of those that he brought out of the bosom of Abraham, their glorified bodies come up out of the grave and was reunited, and they are in the kingdom of heaven now in their glorified body. Are you with me? All right, now when we looked in Revelation chapter 6, and there were under the altar those that had been slain for the Lamb of God, was speaking of those that had died in Christ, and they had been resurrected in the rapture, and now they're in heaven. John saw them as soon as he got there. Before the tribulation started, he saw the Gentile church. That would be all of my, my mom, uh, my, my, not my mom, thank God, my dad. <laughs> thank you, you're still here, mom. But my dad... My mother-in-law, my father-in-law, those that have died in Christ, they're going to be gathered there. And so we'll see their glorified body then as well. And the living. In chapter 7, he says there was a, from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. That's not Jews. This Gentile church were there. So anyway, I hope that cleared that up for you. Have I just confused you worse? Okay, that clear that up? All right, so we see three raptures have already taken place, and there are four left to go. <clears throat> the fourth one will be the rapture of the church. It's the next thing on the prophetic calendar. It could happen at any time. All right. This is also, I don't know how deep to go with this. This is also can be seen in the harvest and in the feast. See, God, He speaks in all these different ways to confirm His Word. The harvest, the first harvest is the barley harvest. And he goes in, the first thing they do is they take a sickle and they cut down a sheaf of harvest, of the harvest, and they bundle it together and they wave it as a wave offering to the Lord. Alright? The first group that is to be gathered and lifted up to the Lord is called the first fruit. That was those that were raised with Jesus Christ and was seen walking the streets of Jerusalem. The second part of the harvest is when they go in and harvest the rest of the field except for the corners which is left for the, the, the orphans, widows, and um, strangers. And I won't talk about that. But the rest of the harvest will be the rapture of the church. Barley is very easy to harvest. All you have to do is just hit it, 
the husk falls off of it. You take a winnowing fork and you throw it up in the air. The wind blows the chaff away and nothing but the seed falls. It's very easy to harvest. The church is coming willingly. All right. The next thing is the wheat harvest. They do the same thing. They go in and they cut a sheaf. They raise it to the Lord. And you'll see that's the 144,000 that will be raptured in the middle way of the tribulation period. Then the next thing they do is go harvest the rest of the field, and they are brought in. The unique thing about wheat is it's very hard to harvest. They bring it in. They knock the, the shell off onto the threshing floor, and the husk is tight to the grain. And the only way they can get the husk off of the grain is they take a board and they stand on it and they pull it with an ox or with a donkey or something and they drag it around and it grinds that grain underneath it to break the husk loose from the seed. That board is called the tribulon, where we get the word tribulation. So it's referring to the Jewish people because they're hard-hearted. And it takes a lot to get them to come into the kingdom. They're not like the church coming willingly. They will come because of the tribulation. Do you see that? And they will be gathered. Part of them in the middle of the tribulation, that's the, wheat, that's the first fruit wave offering, and the rest of them at the end of the tribulation. They're going to go through the whole thing. And you wondered, who are those other people that's underneath the, the altar? And I ask you, how many of you want to know who that is? I say, wait till next week. Well, it's going to be both Jews and Gentiles. It's those that go through the tribulation. And I said, are some of them sitting here this morning? It could be. Because there's going to be some foolish virgins that are left behind. Now, the fifth uh, rapture, of course, will be the 144,000. The sixth rapture will be at the end of the tribulation period. And the seventh rapture, because you have the... Barley harvest, you have the wheat harvest, and at the end of the year, you have the fruit harvest. That will be the millennium saints. Those, because the Bible says that Jesus will come up, he will set his throne up on earth for a thousand years, and we will rule and reign with Christ for one thousand years. At the end of that, this has always boggled my mind, after you've lived under the rule of Jesus Christ himself. I mean, you can see him. You can talk to him. You have been ruled by his saints for a thousand years. The Bible says that Satan will be loosed again for a season. And there will be a final war. And some of the bonehead dummy people on earth will fight with him. I don't understand that. How could you live under a thousand years of Jesus' rule and then turn and try to fight against him? But it will happen. And during that thousand years, people will still come into the kingdom and be a part of that fruit harvest. And that's when they harvest all the apples and just different things at the end of the season. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. All right. Now, this one other thing that's going to, I think, will help you is during that, that seven-year tribulation period, some people want to know, well, who is the Antichrist and where is he coming from? And we have, as time has gone on and more and more has been unveiled to us and more and more has been revealed We've come to understand where this person will come from. He will be the twelfth imam, also known as the Mahdi. Because all of the Muslim world, isn't it interesting that Islam is on the rise again? And their goal is to make the world Muslim. And every person must confess that, Muhammad, that Allah is God and Muhammad is his prophet. And if you don't confess that, they will cut your head off. All right? And a lot of people that's going to go through the tribulation, they're going, to, they're going to accept Christ at the cost of their death. And they will be gathered under the altar with those. He said, they said, how long, O Lord, before you avenge our blood on those upon the earth? And he says, not yet, for yet a little while, because your fellow laborers, that's the Gentiles, and your brethren... That's the Jews. Must suffer the same death. And who's going to do that? The Antichrist. The last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period, he is going to unleash terror on this earth like the earth has never seen before. Now, I'm off of my nose, but I'm just going to go with it, all right? Because here's what's going to happen. At the beginning of the rapture, 
at the beginning of the tribulation, the church is raptured out of here. It's going to be chaos. But I believe simultaneously that the seals are going to be open. The first seal, out comes the white horse. And he that sat up on him was given a crown. And power was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. That is the twelfth imam. It is the Antichrist. Because white horse, we typically think of Jesus. When he's wearing a crown, we think of a king, a ruler. Well, he will be. He is going to pull the world together at some point, and they're going to look to him like he's got all the answers. He knows how to make a... Because it's going to be such chaos. At first, there's, right now, there's, there's wars, you know. And he's going to actually go forth, and we see he's conquering and to conquer. It's not necessarily just to shed blood. He's trying to bring it all under his control. And he will. The second one is the red horse. And power was given to him to take peace from the earth. And folks, listen. They're not dropping bombs in our front yard right now. But there are places on this planet that you better not walk in that community unless you're wearing the right scarf or unless you've got the right tattoo or unless you're a right tribal member or something because they will kill you. Well, when the red horse rider is released, there will not be peace on the earth anywhere. The Bible says, I'm going to read this again in a minute. I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself. But the Bible says, he who led us will let until he be taken away. Then lawlessness will be released on the earth. Well, who is that? Who is restraining lawlessness now? It's you and I, the organized church. Well, when the church is taken, there will not be anything to restrain this lawless one. And he will come in. He will come to conquer. He will look like a king. Where does he get the crown? Where does he get the power? Where does he get the sword? God didn't give it to him. See, here's the thing. Man, this is getting good. I don't know if you're enjoying it, but I am. When Satan was cast out of heaven, authority was taken from him, and he was cast to the earth. Then we see him in the Garden of Eden, and he doesn't have any authority, but he still has power. Power to deceive. And so he still has power. So he comes and he tells him, did God say for you not to eat of the tree? Yes. And what does he do? He takes their authority. And that's what he's there after. Because authority had been given to man. He had dominion over all the earth. He had been given authority. And Satan was there to take that authority back. And he did take it back. We know that because when Jesus showed up, he took him on a high place and said, Bow down and worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth. Well, where did he get the kingdoms from? Where did he get them from? Adam gave them to him. They were given to Adam. He had dominion, and he turned around and gave it to him. So now he has authority. It's not in and of himself. He has no authority of himself. He was stripped of that by God. And he couldn't take it back from God, so he took it from man. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, he said, All power has been given unto me. So he stripped him not only of his authority, he stripped him of his power too. But now he has both authority and power, not of himself, because it's been taken from him. Where does he get it? He gets it from you and me. When we yield to a seducing spirit, we empower him. And he who sat upon the white horse was given a crown because men gave it to him. He was given power because they believe in the Imam. When he comes, every Muslim, Sunni or Shiite, it doesn't matter. They hate each other. They're trying to kill each other. He will unite them in an instant because they're all looking for the 12th Imam. And when he comes, they will do whatever he says to the letter without question. So when he tells them, stop bombing people, stop killing people, lay down your sword, they will do it. And the Bible says they will say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Because it's a lie. Everybody's going to look at him as like, nobody has ever brought, every, every Miss America, what do they say? I want global peace. Well, this guy's going to bring it. Or at least everybody thinks he is. For the first three and a half years. He's going to let Israel rebuild their temple. Just to show you what a good guy he is. And when the temple is built, in a three and a half year period, he's going to walk into the temple. And the Bible says that he himself will declare that he is God. Because the Bible says that three and a half years, Satan will enter into him. 
And he says he will say that he is God. And Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, that's who it will be, the Antichrist. He said, get out of there, flee. And now he's not going to be Mr. Nice Guy anymore. You will bow down and worship him. You will receive his mark, his image, or his number. Or he will kill you. Because right now, today, Islam, what is their way of conversion? Become a Muslim or I'm going to kill you. All right? And if you're a Muslim, you better not be, because they, they hate a Muslim that leaves the faith more than they hate you. And so you can see all this unveiling. Now, real quick, are you still with me? I'm not boring you to tears, I hope, because I've got a little bit more to go here. Let's look at something that's going to happen during the tribulation. For those who really are not certain where they stand with Christ, this is something you can expect. Because this has to do with the children of Israel is the reason I'm doing it. Joel chapter 1, the prophecy of Joel. He tells a story in here. It's a prophecy. It's not a story. We used to sing this song. It was so funny. Verse 15 of chapter 1, it says, Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in his holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand, a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness. As the morning spreads upon the mountain a great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it. That sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? Never been anything like it. Never going to be anything after it like it. Even to the years of many generations, a fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them it is become a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance, now I want you to get this. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses. I didn't say they were horses. It said they look like a horse. Everybody got that? Everybody got that? Come on, say amen. You're in a Pentecostal church, all right? And horsemen, so shall they run, like the noise of chariots. I want you to remember that. On the top of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble as the strong people set in battle array. Before their faces the people shall be much pained. All faces shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war. And they shall march everyone in his way. So they're organized. And they shall not break their rank. Neither shall one thrust another. So they're not fighting each other. They shall walk everyone in his path. And when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. So you can't kill them. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb in upon the houses. They shall enter at the windows like a thief. They, the earth shall quake before them. And the heaven shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark. And the stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall utter His voice before His army. His, for His camp is very great. And for He is Strong and executed his word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? This is a scary thing. There are so many of them, they darken out the sun and the stars and the moon. Can't kill them. Now, let's look in Revelation and see who he's talking about, because actually Joel is prophesying what's going to happen in the end times. Revelation chapter 9, verse 1, he says, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star. Now, the word star there is a reference to an angel. You remember when John heard a voice, and he turned around, and Jesus was standing in the seven candlesticks, and he had seven stars in his hands. He said, The seven candlesticks are the seven churches. The seven stars are the angels to the churches. So this is an angel he's referring to. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. So a star fell from heaven upon the earth. And to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, a smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. 
Sound familiar? Darkens out the sun, the moon, the stars. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. And unto them was given power as the scorpion of the earth had power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither the green things. So they're not there to eat grass. They will destroy it because like the Garden of Eden before them, it was desolate behind them for the sheer number of them. They will trample it down. They're not eating it down, but they will trample it down. Neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their forehead. So whoever doesn't have a seal, they're going to be tormented. Verse 5, And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should torment them for five months. And their torment was the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it. And they shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts is like unto, say it with me, horses. Sound familiar? Isn't it interesting that Joel prophesied that so long ago, and here it's being confirmed again. The Bible says, let everything be established in the mouth of two witnesses. All right. So God doesn't mind repeating himself, and he doesn't mind detail. I love this. So they look like a horse. The shape of the locusts was like unto horses prepared for battle. And on their heads they were given crowns like gold. Their faces was the face of men. And their hair was the hair of a woman, and they had teeth like a lion. Man, <laughs> that is one scary-looking critter, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. When I read this, I was like, the thing wouldn't have to sting me. It would scare me to death just looking at the thing. Looks like a horse, got a face like a man, hair like a woman, teeth like a lion. <laughs> and they had a breastplate as it were the breastplate of iron, so a sword can't hurt them. The sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots. Remember he said they leap from mountain, and Joel said it sounds the sound of a chariot. The same explanation. And they had tails as unto scorpions, and they were stings in their tails. And they had power to hurt men for five months. And they had a king over them, which is an angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew was Abaddon, and in the Greek tongue is Apollyon. One woe is past, and behold, there's two woes after this. Now, the reason I point this out, folks, those who are left here after the rapture of the church, if they survive the white horse, if they survive the red horse that takes peace from the earth, if they survive the black horse who will bring famine, because after the white and red horse, the commerce is going to be turned upside down. People will go. There won't be any food in the grocery store. People panic. They go and buy everything. You can't go buy ammunition now. We were talking about it last night. I can't find a box of 22 bullets anywhere. People are panicking. Well, when this happens, they're going to be taking all the food. The black horse is famine. People will starve to death. If you survive that, then out comes the pale horse, and death set upon him, and hell followed after him. And he had the power to kill with a sword and with, with plagues, with death, the word, and, and pestilence. The word pestilence doesn't mean bugs and critters. It means plagues. Remember the tsunami that killed all those people? They were more concerned about the disease after it from the decaying bodies than they were the death of the, the tsunami. Well, what happens when one-third of the population has died and their decaying bodies is laying around everywhere? The pale horse rider. And all of these other things, if you even survive those things, maybe you'll have a chance to accept Christ, maybe. And if you do, you're going to be tormented with locusts that's stinging you because, folks, we won't have the seal if you're here. And I believe the foolish virgins will be left behind. Now, I could go on some more, but I think I'm going to stop there and just kind of wrap this up by saying these are some of the things that the, that those people will go through. There's going to be an earthquake. The Bible says it's going to move the islands out of their place. It's not going to destroy them. It's going to move them out of their place. I mean, we had an earthquake here that was just a teeny little tremor, literally. It scared the bejeebies out of us. It cracked people's buildings. We got cracks, a few cracks in this building from it. 
I was standing outside when that happened, and my basketball goal was doing this, and I'm looking at the trees, and they're shaking like this, and leaves and sticks are falling, the ground's shaking under me. I literally picked me up when it first started. I said, boom, and I was lifted off the ground. Not my feet didn't leave the ground, but they lifted me up. And I'm like, holy Moses, what is this? It was scary. But imagine an earthquake so powerful that it removes an island, a whole island. Hawaii has moved over, I don't know, 10 feet or something. Then there's going to be hell, fire, hell, balls of hail and fire fall on the earth, and it's going to burn up one-third of the earth. After that, there's a, a burning mountain that's going to fall out of the sky into the sea and destroy one-third of the sea. Dry the water up. A burning mountain. Evaporate the water and destroy all the ships in that section of the sea. I don't know where it's going to hit, but I sure wouldn't want to be on a boat cruising about the time that thing hit. Then another star is going to fall called Wormwood that's going to dry up a third of the freshwater rivers and poison the fresh water so that men will die because of this toxic water from this meteorite or whatever it is. A third of the sun, the moon, and the stars will be smitten. Stars, stars released. Uh, this angel is going to release those demon locusts that we read about. There will be four angels released from the Euphrates River that are bound there right now. And they are going to be unleashed on the population of this earth. That is the seal bowls and the trumpet bowls. Then there are uh, the, the seal judgment, I'm sorry, and the trumpet judgment. Then the bowl judgment, people will have boils. The sea will turn to blood. The rivers will turn to blood. Power will be given back to the sun to scorch men. The Euphrates River will dry up. Uh, there will be a great earthquake such as not been since men upon the earth. Every island will flee away and every mountain will not be found. Now, the first earthquake, you think, well, that was bad enough that it moved the island over. The second one is going to destroy all the islands. They're going to be just engulfed, disappear. The mountains will be leveled. Can you imagine an earthquake strong enough to level an entire mountain? I, I mean, the earth is trembling. Can you imagine the whole planet Earth just shaking like this? To level, I, 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 can't, I can't even picture that. And it says that, the, that balls of hell will fall from heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. That's a 60-pound bowling ball hitting you in the head, coming through the roof of your house, hitting your car or wherever you happen to be. Now, folks, when we talk about that, and, and we're sitting here thinking about, well, you know, we're the church, and we're going to escape that. Aren't you glad that you're not condemned to have the wrath of God? You should be glad of that. I'm glad of that. Kim, won't you come on up and join me? Where's Kim at? Kimmy? Oh, run and get Kim for me, please. Somebody. In fact, I don't know, maybe. Should we bring the children in for that? I, I think it'd be all right. I think it'd be all right. Yeah, bring the children in, Kat. The thing is, we think of ourselves, well, we're the church. We're going to escape that. But, but I've, I've been studying this for years now. And this thing about the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins, I've come to realize when, when he when he wrote to the church of Sardis, remember he said you have a name that you live, but really you're dead. Strengthen that which remains, which is about to die. He said, if you do, I'll give you a white gown. and I will not blot your name out of the Lamb's book of life. I believe that people are sitting in churches around the world today Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. But they're foolish. They don't take the things of God serious. They, At some point in their life, they recognize, I'm a lost sinner. I need Jesus. The verse of the week, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And they realized that. And they said, God, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I'm, I'm going to die in my sin. I'm going to go to hell. And I don't want to. I know you're the Son of God. I know you come to die for my sin. And I ask you to come to my heart and save me. And he did. But instead of living for him, they go right back into their old lifestyle. 
And folks, you can't serve two masters. I was at a pastor's meeting just this week, and the one of the pastors, we were talking about some guy, and he was, it, it was a, as pastors, we talk about different issues that we struggle with and give advice to each other. And he was, he was talking about this man, and, and the pastor said, well, he just needs Jesus. And I wasn't correcting him or rebuking him. I said, I hear what you're saying, brother, but I've known a lot of people that found Jesus. And they were some of the meanest people I know. Just finding Jesus is not your answer. Now, I hope you don't take that wrong. Then he rephrased it. He said, no, they need the lordship of Jesus. I said, amen, brother. Because he is our Savior, and the salvation is free. But he doesn't expect you to stop there. He expects you to make him lord of your life. And wise virgins make Jesus lord. Foolish virgins, I'm saved, I'm good. Nothing really changes other than I put my trust in Jesus. They never really make Him Lord of their life. And so when we read all of this and we realize the seriousness of what is getting ready to happen, my message to you, concentrate right here, my message to you is this is no time to be playing church. It is time to get serious about the things of God. He needs to be the Lord of every part of my life. If I'm having trouble with addictions, if I'm having trouble with my thought life, I'm having trouble with discipline areas of my life, I need to seek God and try to get control of that and give Him the Lordship of my life. Serve Him in every area, every area of our life. Because when the trumpet blows, the wise virgins will be ready. See, the thing is they have oil in their lamp and the lamp is still burning. The foolish virgins, they had oil. At one time, the lamp was burning, but they let it go out. And the Bible says the bridegroom came and the wise were taken. The foolish had to go out and try to buy oil. And then they came, but the door was shut. And they knocked on the door and said, let us in. He said, not so. I don't know you. And they had to go through everything I've explained to you this morning. I believe that after the rapture of the church, many people that sit in church on Sunday morning are going to realize Oh, my God. I played around one day too many. I know what just happened. And they are sincerely and genuinely going to come to Christ. But they're going to have to go through all of this. And some of them will actually give their life because of their faith. I believe they will because they're going to know. Folks, if somebody's sitting here playing games with God and we are all caught out of here and you're still sitting here, you're going to know. But the problem is, you're going to have to get through all of these things. It's no time to be playing church. Are you hearing me? Now, we had a talent show last night, and Kim did this thing. And I, I, it, this says what I'm trying to say, I think, better than I can say it. So I've asked her if she would just do that this morning. There you go. Can you go ahead and make it on the mic? It's on 37-3 right there. 37-3 right there. What is right there? Oh, sorry. Um, as it was in the Oh, okay. Okay, gotcha. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up until Noah entered the ark. And they knew not about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Time, time is ticking by, and I can feel an explosion inside. And time, time is ticking by, and I can feel an explosion. As in the days of Noah, as in the days of Noah, they'll be drinking, marrying, laughing. As in the days of Noah, what a fool they say to build a boat on sand. What a fool. 
about things in the Bible and people honestly do look at it and say, are you crazy? I mean, people vanishing off into the air and things falling. They did the same thing to Noah. 120 years building a ship in the middle of a sand pile. Hundreds of miles from water. They said, you're a fool. Are you playing games with God this morning? That's a powerful song. People get ready because Jesus is coming. And you know, I don't have to see Him come. I would love to see Him come. 
But I'm going to live for him like he is coming. Amen. How about you? Would you stand to your feet, please? Before we close this morning, if there's somebody here and you don't feel like you're ready for that trumpet to sound, please don't leave here today until you have made things right with God. Now I said when Jesus comes again, I know that I'm going to go with him. What about you? Have you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? He's your Savior. I'm glad he's your Savior. And I'm not preaching salvation by works. Your salvation is free. Jesus gave that to you freely. Given to you. And I would say probably many of you, maybe most of you, maybe all of you here today, you've given your heart to Christ and accepted Him as your Savior. But have you given Him your life and accepted Him as your Lord? Do you even know when He's telling you to do something? And when He does, do you step out in faith and do what He's told you to do? Because if you don't, then He's not your Lord. See, a lot of us, Jesus is just there when we need Him. But Jesus wants to be more than that to us. He doesn't just want to be our rescuer all the time. He wants us to be there for Him. When your friend or your family member or your co-worker or somebody you meet needs to hear about Him, He needs you there for him. Last week I told you about a lady who walked across the hall to pray for someone because she had a thought, I should go pray for this person. She realizes now that wasn't just a thought. That was the Lord of her soul saying, Nancy, I need you right now. I need you to go pray for this lady. Something she'd never done before. But in faith, she walked out and did something that was really difficult for her. And God blessed her for it. She said, I felt the presence of God come over me like I've never felt before. Are you willing to serve God like that? If you are, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to Him today. Lord, I don't want to just call You my Savior. I want to call You my Lord because You are my Lord. I want You to control every part of my life. I give You my mind. I give You my heart. I give You my hands. I give You my home. I give You my bank account. I give You my family. I give it all to you, God. Are you willing to do that? I ask you to bow your head. Father, this is something personal between every person and you. Because I could ask them to come at the altar and they could come and stand and still not mean it. Lord, if they're sincere and they mean it, they will do it right now, right where they are in their heart. So God, I just ask that you just speak to every person, Lord. And right now, every person here will make a decision. I'm satisfied with just having you as my Savior. Or I'm willing to give my life to you and accept you as my Lord. So, Father, just look into every heart right now. Draw them by your Spirit. Commune with us right now, dear God. about, I'm going to just ask you to make a statement of faith to Him. If you're willing to take that action, and and don't do this flippantly. If you say, Lord, I will make you the Lord of my life, then do it. And if you are willing to do that, why don't you just slip your hand up as an act of faith and say, God, 
I hear your word this morning. I heard the powerful words of that song. People get ready because Jesus is coming. And Lord, I want to be ready when you come. And so, Father, I'm making the pledge to you this morning that I will not just play church. I will not be a foolish virgin, Lord, but I will be a wise one. I will keep my life filled with the oil of your Spirit, God. I will keep my lamp trimmed and burning, God, that people will see Jesus in my life. I will be a witness for you. Now come and be the Lord of my life. Guide me, direct me, and speak to me, Lord. Help me to understand your will and to know your word. And I will follow you and obey you. This is my pledge in Jesus' name. Would you make that your prayer this morning? If you will, just lift your hands to God and say, That's my prayer, Lord. I accept you as Lord in Jesus' name. Before I close, I want to offer you an opportunity. If you're here this morning and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're lost and you know it. And today you'd like to come and say, Pastor, I am not a Christian, but I'd like to be. And I'm coming today to acknowledge Jesus as my Savior and to make a personal testimony. Because the Bible says we are to do that before men. He said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father which is in heaven. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, just to come and step right here to the front. I want to pray with you. Anyone at all. You've never trusted Jesus, but you'd like to do that this morning. Father, I bless your people. I bless their home, Lord. Make it a refuge, God, and escape from the world, a place where you are honored and revered. God, make it a place where we are safe, Lord. Safe from the outside influences of the world. Safe from the threats of the world. Safe from the threats of the enemy of your soul, of our soul, God. Restore relationships today between husbands and their wives. Parents and their children, siblings with one with the other. God, I especially bless the homes of those that are here and maybe their parents aren't here. They have no power or influence over what goes on in their home. But God, through their witness and their testimony, may you begin to work in their home and bring an influence there through them. And I bless them to have the power to do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, church.